So this morning I, I want to begin our time by having us thinking about expectations. Uh, some of you, when you just hear that word expectations, your mind has already started to go and you're thinking about the, you're creating expectations for what I'm going to talk about with expectations. Um, but, but if your mind hasn't actually started going there, here's a few questions to get you going. And so what, what do you expect out of life? What, what do you expect from the people around you? Literally the ones sitting right next to you in the pew, like how they are act, how they are going to act while the service continues, um, but also the people um, that you are with each and every day. What do you expect will happen to you or not happen to you over the course of this week? And so in addition to having expectations about ourselves and others, we also have expectations about God. There are times in our life when we expect much of God. We, we want him to show up in a big way because of a particular situation that we are in. We pray fervently and we pray diligently for God to act. But there are other times in our life when we have pretty low expectations of what God is going to do, if we're honest. Uh, we, we don't think that this or that situation is actually going to happen, and so we just kind of like throw up this odd softball prayer and hope for the best. And so ha- have you been expecting a little or much of God lately. And so our passage this morning is Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 30. This passage is about Jesus and who he is. And the characters um, in it have a variety of expectations and responses to Jesus. Some of them they earnestly want to know, and others are content with just having him around to watch the miracle show. Jesus clearly tells them who he is, and he calls them to respond rightly to him. And so will you please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 30, and if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Starting in verse 2. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ... He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf heal, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, uh, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And so from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children playing in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, 
and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities who, where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the work done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. And at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So for the rest of our our time, uh, we will look at some expectations and responses to Jesus being the Messiah, uh, the the consequence of of not responding with repentance and Jesus' invitation for people to come to him. So our first point, Jesus is the Messiah. Our text this morning, it starts with John the Baptist in prison, and he has heard what Jesus has been doing. John's been in prison for for all of Jesus' public ministry. John baptized Jesus in chapter 3, and then we see in Matthew chapter 4, verse 14, uh, that Jesus hears of John's arrest. So King Herod um, arrested John because John called him to repent for marrying his brother's wife, and this is said in chapter uh, 14 of Matthew. John hasn't actually seen the miracles that Jesus has done, but his disciples keep coming to him and reporting back what is happening. These reports, they begin to make John wonder, what's going on? And he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, Jesus, is is he the one, or should they go and look for another? John wants confirmation that Jesus is the guy, the Messiah, because Jesus isn't quite living up to John's expectations. You see, every every Jewish person person had expectations about the Messiah. These ranged from what he would look like, how tall he was, how he would act, did he have a good beard, a bad beard, I don't really know what he was going to be doing. They had expectations about the Messiah. But John's expectations had had a very vested interest. He was, after all, the prophet who was called to prepare the way for the Messiah. His whole God-given role depended on him getting this right. He had heard all about the deeds that Jesus had done in chapters 5 to 9, but there seemed to be a few missing things, key things, according to John. 
Jesus wasn't quite living up to the expectations um, that John had. And John, he, he wasn't just making them up. He was working off of Old Testament prophecy that described what would happen. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6 says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Then Isaiah 61, verse 1, it says, The, the Spirit of the, Lord is, of, of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And so as John's disciples re- report to him about what Jesus is doing, I can imagine him going through this kind of mental checklist. Healing the blind, check. The deaf hear, check. Lame walk, check. Good news, preach to the poor, check. All right, we're, 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 all, we're batting a thousand almost. Um, but then when he, when he gets to the opening of the prison to those who are bound, John's like, no check. Still in prison, still here. What's going on with that? Where is the liberty to the captive and the opening of the prison? John's disciples, they ask Jesus, is he the one? And Jesus responds by telling them to tell John what they have seen and heard. Jesus is saying that his deeds are the proof that he is the Messiah. It was foretold that he would do these things, and Jesus was doing them. Jesus then adds a statement in verse 6, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus wanted John to believe and to know. He wanted John to drop some of his previous expectations and to respond with belief. You will be released from prison, but not now. Jesus was far from what the traditional Messiah was thought to be, and he didn't want John to be tripped up by his preconceived ideas of what the Messiah should be like. Those who respond with belief and repentance will be blessed. Some of you this morning have similar expectations as John the Baptist did. You have great expectations for what Jesus will do for you or you feel like he should do for you. There are times when this isn't really a bad thing, um, but, we, but when we insist on him living up to our expectations, we can have a problem. An example of this is wondering why God isn't providing a physical healing for us when we pray for that or the physical healing of someone else. Praying in this way is good. God actually calls us to do this. Uh, we should pray like this because our Father in Heaven delights to give us good things to, to those who ask. But there are times when the answer to our prayer for physical healing is no, or not yet. It is hard when this happens because our expectations are not met. You will be healed, but not right now. And maybe not in this life, but you will be healed later. It is hard to hear these things, but we must hold our expectations loosely and also keep them under the truth of God's Word. So in your community groups or at your dinner tables or wherever you like to talk, I would ask that you talk about some of your expectations of Jesus and God with others. What do you do when it seems like God is not living up to your expectations? 
And so the other um, expectation and response in the passage is that of the crowd. So after John's disciples leave, Jesus turns his attention to the crowd and he begins to ask them questions about John. And so these, this series of, of questions, uh, gosh, where is it starting at? In verse, in verse 7, I, I, it's, I don't really know why, but I think it's awesome. So he's, he's sitting there, he's asking them, what did you go out in the wilderness to see, crowd? A reed blowing in the wind? No, no, you didn't go out to see a reed blowing in the wind. No one would walk miles into the desert to see some grass being shaken around. That's, I mean, even if it's really tall grass, that's not exciting. Like, no, no one would do that. Well then, crowd, did you go out to see someone dressed in soft clothing? No, again. The wilderness is no place for soft clothing. I mean, it would be torn on a rock in a matter of a second. People dressed in soft clothing, they live in king's houses. So crowd, what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Ding, ding, ding. That is right. You, that is what you went out into the wilderness to see. But it wasn't just any prophet you went out to see, crowd. You went out to see John the Baptist. And he is the one that the Old Testament says is the messenger who will prepare the way for the Messiah. Now that is a reason to make a journey out into the wilderness. To see the man who would prepare the way for the Savior of God's people. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He begins to go on and say how great John is. Jesus says that John is greater than anyone who has ever been born. Now let's take a second to think about that statement. John the Baptist is greater than anyone who has ever been born before him in human history. The answer is yes. He is greater than Abraham, he's greater than Isaac, he's greater than Jacob, he's greater than Joseph, he's greater than, than even Moses and King David. But this doesn't mean that these men are no longer important or that their roles weren't all that good. And it also doesn't mean that John somehow lived like this better life than them, like glorifying God more by his actions. The reason that Jesus says that John is greater is because of John's role as the one who prepares the way for the Messiah, the Christ. And so to cap it all off in verse 14, Jesus references Malachi 4.5, which says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Jesus says that John is the Elijah who is to come. All of this proves that John is the messenger from the Old Testament and that Jesus is the Messiah. This is a big deal. Jesus wants the crowds to believe this and he calls for those who have ears to hear to hear it. He's trying to be clear with them. He wants them to respond with repentance and belief. But they don't. Christy and I have passed our our five-year parenting anniversary that happened in March. And so in my five years of being a parent, I, I've come across a few situations when my kids are just unable to be pleased. I'm sure none of your children are like that. So sometimes, you know, at, we, we give our kids a snack before they go to bed. So I, I don't know why, it's just what we do. Um, and so, but you'll ask them, what, what do you want? And they'll be like, okay, I want a Go-Gurt. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And so you go in the fridge, you get that out, and they're sitting at the table, you hand it to them. Only to be met with the response of, no, I want a bowl of yogurt. Okay. So I, I put the go away, which 
mind you, I have actually, I've just opened, and so now you have to strategically prop it up against something, and so then it doesn't leak all over the fridge. And so you do that, and you get out the quart tub of yogurt, and you spoon some into a bowl, and you get everything ready to go, and you hand it to them. And you, you, they're at the table, and you walk up to them, give it to them, and they're like, I don't want that. I want a go-gurt. So at this point, I've about had it. You know, you leave that bowl of yogurt there, you go to the fridge, you get the gogurt, you hand that to them, and you just let them make their choice, and you walk away. But in verses 16 to 19, Jesus says that the crowds are just like my kids. They're unable to be pleased. They don't want Jesus, and they don't want John. They don't want to rightly respond to either of them. John came with a very ascetic approach. He was disciplined and abstained from self-indulgence, but the crowds didn't really like that. Then Jesus came with no fasting and he drank wine, but they didn't like that either. They said that John had a demon and they called Jesus a drunkard. They just couldn't be pleased. The crowds are like many crowds today. They, They are there for the excitement. So when a new and an exciting thing is happening, it draws a crowd. It doesn't matter if it's a good thing or a bad thing. When there's a car wreck, people slow down to do the whole like rubberneck thing and look at it. Even though you know you're not supposed to do that. You're like, don't look, don't look. You drive by there and, oh, I did it. I even told myself not to do it. But this, this bad thing, it draws us in. We also do this with good things. An example of this was Ethan and Evan Adams' wedding. This place was packed out with people. We were excited to be here to witness their marriage and to celebrate with them. But when John and Jesus began to call on the crowds to repent and believe, to see and hear rightly, they didn't want anything to do with it. They liked Jesus and they liked John. But when it began to bring change to their lives, they didn't like that. There are so many people who do this today. Just about every single person in the world likes Jesus. I mean, what's not to like? You know, he did miracles. That's cool. He was compassionate. He was kind. I mean, he was perfect, for crying out loud. They, they like Jesus on their own terms and their own expectations of him. But so do your expectations line up with Jesus being the Christ who came to save people from their sins? Do your expectations and your terms of what Jesus calls you to do and how to live line up with his calling for his disciples? If you need a refresher on that, Matthew 5 to 7 is full of teaching on how a disciple is called to live. We know that the crowds are not responding to Jesus and believing that he is the Christ and their lack of repentance brings judgment. There will be judgment for those who do not repent. Jesus picks three cities, picks Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. These are the cities where the majority of Jesus' mighty works and miracles had been done. The, the people in these cities, they had seen the miracles that Jesus had done. He did them in their neighborhoods and in their marketplaces where they shopped. They had seen the evidence of Jesus being the Christ. Jesus told John the Baptist that he had, what he had heard about was the proof that Jesus is the Christ. And these people should have known that what they saw with their own eyes was the proof. But instead of seeing these deeds as proof, they took offense. 
They were offended by Jesus, and because of this, were not blessed, as verse 6 says. They didn't repent, and Jesus pronounced judgment on them. The judgment comes in the form of a comparison to illustrate their hardness of heart. He compares Chorazin and Bethsaida to the notoriously pagan cities of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon, they were denounced by Isaiah and by Ezekiel and by Amos for their wickedness. But even they would have repented if what was done in these three cities had been done for them to see. Jesus continues and says that it will be better on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for them. This implies that the cities and people who had a front row seat to Jesus' mighty works had a greater responsibility for their lack of repentance. Of all the people who should have known that Jesus was the Messiah, it should have been those who physically saw Jesus doing the works of the, that the Messiah was supposed to do. And so when I was reading these verses, I kept thinking about Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum being like three brothers who are getting in trouble by their dad. So the dad's talking to the first two boys, and the third brother, he's over here, and he's beginning to think, yeah, you tell him, dad. Starting to chuckle to himself, oh, they are going to get it. And then right as he's starting to laugh just a little bit more, the dad turns and looks at him and says, you just wait till I get to you. And that's what happens with Capernaum. Capernaum thinks that they're going to heaven. After all, Jesus is the hometown boy. But this closeness to Jesus and his life brought with it a great responsibility to recognize who he was and to respond with repentance. Jesus tells them, You think you're going to heaven, Capernaum? Wrong-o. Hell is where you're destined to because of your lack of repentance. Jesus revealed himself to these cities by his mighty deeds. And today Jesus is revealed to us by the words of the Bible that is sitting on your lap or in the pew or on your phone or in some other easily accessible place. God's word reveals the truth of the gospel and if there is anyone in the, night, in, in the world who has abundant access to it, it is the people here in the United States. It's the people here in Wichita who have access to God's Word and churches who share it. Many people have heard, but they have not repented and believed. And it's this lack of repentance that brings judgment. And the judgment will be more bearable for the people of Pakistan than for the people of the United States because of our access to the truth. We must remember that having access to the truth brings with it a great responsibility. This responsibility is one of repentance and of evangelism. If you have not repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus' death for your sins for your salvation, I would encourage you to do so today. Turn away from your sin and come to Jesus. But once you have responded, we are called to share the truth with others and to call them to respond. That's what evangelism is. It's sharing the truth of the gospel with the aim to persuade. So how are you doing with this responsibility? Are you increasing in your evangelistic temperature? Are you growing in your love for the lost? Are you regularly praying for a lost person to repent and believe? Middle and high school students, 
Remember, that was your homework from this last Wednesday, and over the course of the summer, that is your homework, to choose one of your lost friends and to daily pray for them to repent and believe. Church, we also have a great responsibility to send out people to places like Tyre and Sidon, to translate God's word into their language so they can have it sitting on their lap in the same way that you have it sitting on yours. And in this, I want to commend you for what you have done and encourage you to press on in it. All of the flags that are out there in the hallway represent a country where we have missionaries working. People who are impacted by the work that you do as you continually send out missionaries. And I thank you for that. We'd have more flags out there, but we ran out of wall space. Like, I mean, that's, that's true. This is the work that you're doing, and I thank you. L and J are actively working to translate the Bible in Central Asia. Melinda, Dylan, and Hannah are also working to translate the Bible for a people group in North Africa. In addition to this, as Rod said, Claire Drevitz will be working full-time with the ISI team here at WSU where she will be sharing the gospel with many unreached people and calling them to respond. So let us continue to encourage our missions partners in the work that they are doing, the work that God has called them to and in the work that we have sent them to do. And so as we do this, let us pray for the lost to come to Jesus and he will give them rest. Verses 25 to 30 are encouraging in, in so many ways. These verses, they tell us about the king, who the kingdom of God has been revealed to and how it happens and an invitation to come to Jesus. The kingdom of God has not been revealed to all people. Jesus said it is hidden from the wise and the understanding. People are not saved because of their knowledge or their societal status or their relationship network. It's not by their own wisdom that they have been saved, but by the wisdom of God. And when the wisdom of God is compared to the wisdom of the world, it is seen as foolishness. The world's wisdom says that we need to save ourselves by working harder and doing more. It says that we are saved by proper planning and proper preparation. But God's wisdom for salvation requires none of this. It calls us to come to Jesus like a child. Weston, Cora, and Avalyn, they cannot provide for themselves. They need someone else to do it for them. This is how we are to come to Jesus. We are to come like little children who recognize that they are unable to save themselves. We are to come and trust that Jesus' death and resurrection are all that is necessary to be saved. We are to come with repentance and belief that Jesus is the one who takes away the sins of the world. Coming to Jesus like this is our part in salvation, but God also plays a huge role. It is God who reveals our need and opens our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Christy was tucking Weston um, into bed last night, and she had a gospel conversation with him. She explained the gospel to him and asked him that whenever he is ready to believe and follow Jesus, that they can pray together. Weston then asked how will he know if he believes? And after some more conversation, they left it with, we're going to talk about it a little bit more tomorrow, looking at it a little bit more from the Bible. 
Christie was faithful to share the gospel with Weston, but it is God who will open his eyes to see and believe. Jesus is the one who will, who will reveal the truth to Weston and allow him to know the Father. Our job is to clearly share the gospel and earnestly ask God to save people. The invitation to believe the gospel is for all people, though. Jesus called all people who are laboring and heavy laden to come to him and that he would give them rest. The Jewish people, they struggled under the heavy burden of the law and the additional requirements placed upon them by the Pharisees. The law was good, and it is still good today, but it is impossible to keep. It was a yoke that became a heavy burden, a crushing burden. A yoke is a wooden cross piece that goes between two animals and allows them to work together to accomplish a task. The law was a massively heavy yoke that was a burden to labor under. But Jesus' yoke is different, though. It's a yoke that is easy. The burden is light, and there's rest that comes along with it. This doesn't mean that it's like carefree, like a lack of yoke. No, it still is there, and we are called to work. Jesus calls his disciples to a life that involves a lot of hard work. But it is a life that is full of hope and joy. Jesus calls his disciples to a life of service and sacrifice, but these are worth it because of the rest and the security that they have in him. Those who repent and believe the gospel no longer have to worry about their standing before God because Jesus holds them secure in his hand as the song we just sang says. Their sins have been forgiven and their debt has been paid. They are free from sin and death and therefore the burden of Jesus' yoke is light and it is easy. And so if you have not believed in Jesus, today is the day. Throw off the heavy burdens that you carry and come to Jesus where you will find rest for your soul. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word and what it says. God, I ask that you would give us hearts that desire to respond rightly to it with repentance and belief. Help us to see and to believe that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that we would place ourselves under his yoke and his calling on our life that we would live our lives according to his will for us and for your glory. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.